Let's get on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Jay Master. And Jay Master writes, Hey, John, I was perusing through my news feed and I read on deadline that Netflix canceled the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. After one season and just after the series won an award at the Creative Arts Emmys this weekend for outstanding children's programming. By the way, that was not a children's program. I, I'm thrilled it won the Emmy, but it was not a children's program. Anyway, this was confirmed by executive producer Lisa Henson saying that the series will not be renewed for a second season. What are your thoughts on the series not getting renewed for a second season? Well, here's the thing. I'm not happy. No, sir. I'm not happy at all. I loved this show. I, I, I absolutely loved the Dark Crystal. I thought what they did with the Dark Crystal was nothing short of absolutely phenomenal. I thought they crushed it. I thought they killed it with the, the puppets. I thought they integrated CG into it when they needed to in the right and appropriate places to mix with the practical puppeteering. And most importantly, they gave us a great story. Now, I'm not normally, you guys know, I'm not a big fan of prequel stories per se. So I, I, I don't usually prefer that they go the prequel route. But I got to say, I, I really did enjoy this show an awful lot. And I was shocked to find out. Now, I get it. It's an expensive show. So maybe it shouldn't have, you know, completely stunned us. But here's basically from the producer herself. This is coming to us from Variety Rights. We can confirm, this is the producer of the show, Henson. We can confirm that there will not be an additional season of the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. We know fans are eager to learn of how this chapter of the Dark Crystal saga continues and will look for ways to tell that story in the future, said executive producer Lisa Hansen. All right. So basically, what's the moral of the story here? As happens, it normally goes in reverse, right? It normally happens that a network cancels a show like Fox canceled Lucifer. And then Netflix comes along and saves the day. Well, now it's a little bit in reverse. Now Netflix is the one canceling the show. Now, and again, listen, I get it. It was an expensive show. It's an older IP. It is. I completely understand. It's an older IP. I understand that Netflix is going to make business decisions and nobody can fault them for that. You got to make business decisions. And so they did. But with a property like Dark Crystal, with the quality of which that first season was done, I have to believe that a, hey, listen, Disney Plus would be a great home. Disney Plus would make a great home for Dark Crystal. Or if they wanted to go the Hulu route, but I'll tell you what else that Dark Crystal fits right in with perfectly. Dark Crystal fits in perfectly with what they're doing over at Amazon. It really is. Dark Crystal fits in perfectly with what they're do what they got going on over at Amazon. Or hell, everybody's looking for good, sharp, premium content. What about you, Peacock? Huh? How about you? We'll even forgive your god awful, stupid name of a network. We'll forgive it. Actually, you're doing a pretty good. Peacock's not bad, by the way. I gotta say, I was finally checking out the other day. Peacock is not a bad little service. I still hate the title of it, though, but it's actually not a bad little service. So I'll tell you what, Peacock, how about you pick up Dark Crystal? How about that? Or HBO Max just got going. Why not HBO Max? Get HBO Max rolling on this. Get them in on the action. 
I like it. Uh, again, this is one of those really unfortunate situations where you get a property that was done really well. A lot of people loved it. Talking about Dark Crystal. A lot of people loved it. But for Netflix, it just didn't equal business sense for them to continue. That is one of the great reasons why we have multiple platforms and why we should always hope we'll have multiple platforms because it leaves options open. And here's hoping that the Henson company and all the powers involved can uh, jump in there and somehow, some way uh, save this show. Because I, I think it would be an absolute damn shame. I think it would be an absolute damn shame if they weren't able to continue on this. So, hey, Peacock, HBO Max, Amazon, Disney Plus, Hulu, whatever, Tubi, uh, Pluto TV, whoever. I don't give a shit. Somebody pick up the Dark Crystal, please. I need more of the Chamberlain in my life. Mm, I need more of that. I need more. Anyway, guys, you heard about this. What do you think about Netflix? I, I'm not mad at Netflix. I get it. They need to make business decisions. I do. I get it. But that doesn't stop me from being disappointed. Do you think another network will pick it up? If so, which network do you think would be the ideal home for something like the Henson Companies, the Dark Crystal? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today, by the way, somebody in this somebody in this live ch chat section just said the the new Ryan Reynolds streaming service. If you guys had to know the news, but that's pretty funny. Okay, let's now move on to main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Romana Alzir, and Romana Alzir writes. Hey, John, giant fan since the movie blog days. Well, thank you so much, my friend. It's a, a lot of people have followed me since the Man of Steel review, but some people have been following since the movie blog days. Those are the, those are the old days, man. Thanks for being around, dude. I was wondering, with the Snyder Cut coming out next year on HBO Max as a miniseries, would it qualify for the Emmys? Thanks, and keep bringing on that filthy. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, so the Emmys just happened. We didn't really cover it a lot in here because I, I don't have a lot of time for a lot of TV. I don't follow a lot of it. I did keep half an eye on it to see if maybe we would see uh, Mandalorian take home best drama. It did not. That went to succession. Excellent show. Schitt's Creek won like all the Emmys. Schitt's Creek just won them all. It just won all the Emmys. They gave them all the awards. So that just happened. Now we've got the Snyder Cut. This is an interesting question. The Snyder Cut Justice League is coming out next year on HBO Max sometime next year. Could be in the next four months, could still be a full year away. We don't know, whatever. It'll come out in the, the next cycle though. So the question is, depending on when it comes out, would it qualify for the Emmys? I think there's two very big questions we need to ask. First is, would it qualify for the Emmys? I think it would. Now, I don't, I try, I reached out to somebody I knew this morning who I know is a voting member of the M Emmys. And I, I'm not surprisingly, I wasn't able to hear back from them in time. Uh, I know a lot more people who are on, who are in the Academy than I do who are plugged into the Emmys, but I, I couldn't get an answer in time. But my guess would be that it would qualify. I think it would qualify under that new kind of category, limited series. I think it would qualify under limited series. Now, there may be a rule in there somewhere that kind of maybe would disqualify it um, simply because it was a feature film. But this is not just 
got a lot of new footage that wasn't in the other one. It's a completely different format, right? Even if it is essentially the same movie, which there's a lot more to it than the theatrical version was, but let's say for argument's sake, it is still essentially the same movie. It's in a completely new format. It's in an episodic four-part limited series format. So my initial gut reaction is to guess that I think it would qualify. I think it would qualify. I Again, if you guys, if, if any of you are voting members of the Emmys, or if you know somebody who is, or if you know for a fact that's not the case, that's fine. I, I'm just saying, I'm just taking a guess at it. But my guess is, considering how much new material is in it, compounded with the fact that it's going to be presented in a completely different format than what it was presented in theatrically, my guess would be it would qualify. The problem is, there's a second question you have to ask. In asking would it qualify, you have to then get around in asking the question, would it even be in the running? And, and this is the part that, you know, there's a lot of discussion. We've, we've had these discussions around here before, and, and they're hard discussions to have, but they're ones you have to bring up. The reality is, it don't matter. It doesn't matter how much I yell and scream and stomp my feet and, you know, lament and, and tear my robes and spring ashes on my head and raise my fist to the heavens and scream that people need to give Man of Steel its just due. Man of Steel, to me, directed by Zack Snyder, one of the greatest comic book movies of all time, easily the most underrated and underappreciated comic book films of all time. It is a masterpiece of the genre. I love this film. I like Batman versus Superman. I liked it very much, as a matter of fact. I even put out a video a long time ago called Defending the Martha Scene, because everybody makes fun of the Martha Scene, and I get why. But I put out a video a number of years ago. You guys should go look it up. Just search John Campia Defending the Martha Scene. I put out a video saying, I understand what they were going for in that Martha Scene. And it's actually something pretty smart. I get it. It came across weird. Why did you say? I get it. It came across weird, but I actually got what Zack Snyder was going for there. It's great. I like Justice League the way, but, but here's the reality. Everybody overlooks this one very inconvenient fact. It doesn't matter how much I yell and scream. It doesn't matter how much anybody else yells and screams. The reality, the facts are half the people out there and half the critics out there hated Man of Steel. Like, I, I can't ever bring up Man of Steel without me getting half my inbox filled up. Man of Steel sucked! Okay, that's right. It's all subjective. It's all good. If you thought Man of Steel sucked, I got no problem with that. That's fine. This movies. It hits us all in different ways. I get it. But the reality is, um, half the audience, half the critics hated Man of Steel. Then you get into Batman versus Superman. And I liked Batman versus Superman. I, I acknowledge it had some issues, but the reality is, and you guys can go back and watch my original review of it, but I thought it was really quite good because I really liked this incarnation of Superman and I love Ben Affleck and Ben Affleck's Ben Affleck's turn as Batman. You guys know is my favorite iteration of Batman, my favorite live action iteration of Batman of all time. But the reality is half the audiences and half the critics hated it. So let's not even talk about Justice League, because even though Justice League was 80% of, you know, according to Variety's report, Joss Whedon only really changed about 20% of the movie, uh, mustache Superman, anybody, but 
but about 80% of it was still Zack Snyder's. The reality is this. The critics, the general movie-going public, all that kind of stuff, they've seen Zack Snyder's DCEU. They've seen it. They know what Zack Snyder's DCEU sensibilities are. They know what his take on the DCEU is. They know what his tone of the DCEU is. And while many of us appreciate what he has done, the fact of the matter is a hell of a lot of people simply don't think it's very good. And so as we get into the Emmys, I don't see any reason why any of us would hold out hope that the Justice League Snyder Cut, like what on what basis would any of us think, oh, yeah, all those people who hated Man of Steel and all those people who hated Batman versus Superman suddenly magically or overnight, they're suddenly going to fall in love with Zack Snyder's DCEU sensibilities and style. And all of a sudden, magically, they're all going to love what he does. It's possible. But I'm going to tell you a little bit of a secret. I personally hope they don't. And here's why. John, what the hell are you talking about? Here's why. And this is strictly for selfish reasons. Zack Snyder's DCU sensibilities work for me. Give me more Man of Steel any day. Give me, give me that all day, every day. Give me that same Batman you had in Batman versus Superman. I like Justice League. I do. I like the theatrical version of Justice League. But to me, the biggest weakness was... The Batman, the way Batman came across in Justice League was not the same Batman we got in Batman versus Superman. So give me more of that Batman. I personally like Zack Snyder's DCEU sensibilities. So I hope he doesn't change the way he is. I hope he doesn't change how he tells those stories to appeal to all the Emmy voters. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So I personally hope he just does what he does. Give me back, give me back that that Batman that we've got out of Batman versus Superman. Give me that Henry Cavill Superman. Give me those sensibilities and I'll be happy. The Emmys won't be happy. Half the audiences won't be happy. Half the critics won't be happy because they already don't like Zack Snyder's DCEU sensibilities. And that's fine. So will it qualify? Yes, I think it'll qualify. Is there any realistic chance that it could do that? Not unless Zack Snyder completely changes the way he approaches the DCEU. The only way it's going to get actual Emmy consideration is if Zack Snyder completely changes his approach to the DCEU and completely changes his sensibilities because his approach and his sensibilities have not worked with the general movie going audience, have not worked with the critics, clearly has not worked with them. But stay the way you are. Let those of us who do like Man of Steel, let those of us who do like Justice League, let us just appreciate it. So I don't know. That's just my take on that. Question is, guys, what do you think about that? Do you maybe you think, no, John, there's really good precedent and reasons to believe that people who didn't like his stuff before will like it now. Maybe you think there's a good argument for that. Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move into main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Jonathan Lund. And Jonathan Lund writes, Hey, John and Rob. Well, unfortunately, Rob's not here today. The Mandalorian season two release date is a little over a month away. Cannot wait. And I couldn't be more excited. I read an interview today with Giancarlo Esposito saying, 
This season is going to lay groundwork for the depth and breadth that's going to come in seasons three and four. Uh, where you really going to start? Where you're really going to start to get answers? What do you think of these comments? Does this mean that seasons three and four are officially greenlit? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, now look, uh, we got Mandalorian season two coming October thirtieth. Cannot wait. I thought the teaser trailer was outstanding. I loved it. It gave us a great sense of what this season is going to be about. It gave us some flashes and samples of like the cool stuff that we're going to get. I loved it. Cannot wait for this season. We already knew that season three was in development. Like we already knew they were doing that. That's no big news. But along comes Gustav himself. Along comes the moth. And he says the following. Gene Carlo Esposito says, we're living in a universe that is huge and there's so much to explore. So I think this show is going to lay the groundwork for the depth and breadth that's going to come in seasons three and four, where you're really going to start to get answers. That, of course, comes to us from Giancarlo Esposito, who plays Moff Gideon in Mandalorian. And we we know he's going to pop up in this season and we're all very, very excited for it. Does this actually confirm that we are going to get a season four? No. The, the, the bottom line answer to that is, is no. This does not confirm we're getting a season four. I think what this does tell us is that there's maybe been some conversations. And of course, look, when you have a show like Mandalorian that single-handedly launched Disney+, Plus, when you get a show like Mandalorian that was almost, not quite, but almost universally loved, and when you get a show like Mandalorian that in its first season out gets nominated for the most prestigious award in all of television broadcasting, which is, of course, best drama series at the Emmys. When you've got that, you know you've got a hit on your hand and you know you make plans for it. You don't ditch it. But the reality is we do live in a world where Netflix cancels very popular, very beloved shows and other networks can do the same. We live in a world where maybe Lucasfilm and, and Disney feel like, you know what, after season three, we've told the story of the Mandalorian. Now it's time to move on to other stories. We do live in that world, but I have no doubt there are at least conversations going on around there about what do we do after the next season? No doubt. And I'm sure probably a lot of the actors probably think, oh, yeah, this thing's going to go on for five, six, seven seasons. I mean, that's probably where they're thinking. Basically, what I'm saying is this. I don't think an off-the-cuff comment by one of the supporting actors in the series is definitive proof that we they have greenlit season four. Now, if you were to ask me, do I believe we're going to get a season four of Mandalorian? Yes. I would bet five bucks that we're going to get a season four of Mandalorian. But I would have said that before hearing the comments from Giancarlo Esposito. But I don't think him saying these things guarantees it. I don't think this means it's confirmed. I don't think any of that. I still think there's a possibility we just get season three and they end it after that. I don't think that's likely, but I do think it's a possibility. So that's where I'm leaning on this. Question is for you guys. What do you think about the comments from Giancarlo Esposito? Do you think there is going to be a season four? Do you think it's probably already a done deal? Or do you think it's something they're still evaluating? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four. 
And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Gregory V. And Gregory V writes, Hey, John, I saw reports going around that J.K. Simmons is confirming that he's going to come back to play J. Jonah Jameson again in the MCU. I loved his cameo at the end of the last Spider-Man, and I've never heard an audience cheer so hard. What do you think of this? And would he be a good addition moving forward? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, one of the big we all love to hang around for the post credit scenes, particularly in films uh, that are the MCU films. We love to hang around in those. And at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home, we got one of the best ones, maybe not narratively, but certainly big surprise and things that was going to cheer and delight a lot of fans, which was, of course, seeing the great J.K. Simmons pop up again as J. Jonah Jameson. Listen, I've always said, I've always said, if you're going to reboot, reboot, that means recasting everything. Two exceptions. James Earl Jones as Mufasa. I've said that for years, even before Lion King. And second, J. Jonah coming being played again by the great J.K. Simmons, and then he popped up again. Now, this is what he said. There is a distinct chance there have been discussions, and I'm not going to say anything definitive because I don't know if I'm allowed to, but yes, I'm very optimistic that I'll have some more Triple J in my future. That comes to us from J.K. Simmons. Now, listen, we also know from previous reports that he's already apparently done a scene. Like, there's already something in the can ready for a future movie. Obviously, that'll probably once again be something very small, but we already know that he has filmed something to appear in another movie at some point. That much we know, that much he has confirmed before. The issue then becomes, what do they have ongoing plans for him? Do they have plans for Jay Jonah not just to be a quick little pop-up and say, hey, everybody, remember me, but rather actually play a role moving forward? You know, I loved him in the original Spider-Man movies playing J. Jonah. I, I got as excited as anybody else seeing him pop up in the end credits of Spider-Man Far From Home. I, I don't know if it's a good thing that the most exciting part about your movie is an end credit cameo, but but it is what it is. I got as excited as anybody else. It would be really cool to see him pop up. Listen, the guy's an Academy Award winner. He is beloved by audiences. And the character of J. Jonah is as essential to Spider-Man, I would say, that Alfred is to Batman. I mean, it's hard to imagine. You can do Batman without Alfred. You, you can, but it's hard to imagine. You can do Spider-Man without J. Jonah. They've done two films with Spider-Man without a J. Jonah. But I would say he is as connected to Spider-Man, again, as Alfred is to Batman. So you put all those things together. I, I got to believe they're planning to do more. I really do. Now, the only thing I did not like about this Jay Jonah appearance was the new hair. I personally preferred the older hair. I preferred like the classic kind of almost military gray hair. I, I personally like that a little bit more, but he was actually tells a story about how uh, they only decided like the day before to sh they were going to shoot it and they couldn't do a wig in time. So they were just like, uh, you just have to go with it. So they did it. So, ah, that's fine. Whatever. I can live with that. I suppose I can live with that. But listen, anything to bring back J.K. Simmons to play more J. Jonah, I'm totally on board, on board for. Completely sign me up. The question is for you guys. 
What do you think is going to happen moving forward? Did you, like some other people, thought the cameo was just a quick one and done to be a special little cameo? Are you thinking they might make him a predominant character moving forward? Do you think they'll just continue to use him as quick little cameos? They all work. Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's now move into our fifth and final main topic today. And our fifth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Hamoud H. And Hamoud H. writes, Greetings and salutations, movie friends. Well, greetings and salutations, Hamoud. Unpopular opinion, but I quite enjoyed the Warcraft movie that came out a few years ago. There have been some reports surfacing that they are finally planning on doing a sequel. I wanted to check with you to see if these reports are BS or if it's okay to get excited. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, you're not alone. Look, when Warcraft was coming out, I, I remember for a good couple of years, we were all really excited about Warcraft and Assassin's Creed. So for a number of years, Warcraft and Assassin's Creed were two video game adaptations that were in development and they were becoming movies. And all of us, myself included, especially really believed for a long time that this was going to be the, you know, the, 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 the breakthrough. This, these were the films that were going to break the curse. We are going to get a great video game adaptation movie that is going to throw open the floodgates and it's just going to be that deal breaker that just brings everything into harmony, right? Assassin's Creed is one of the worst films I've seen in the last 10 plus years. And Warcraft, even though I got to say, I appreciated Warcraft more than most people did, but Warcraft absolutely had its issues. It, it really did. It had its issues. And even though I kind of appreciated it because it, it played so well aesthetically to me, like I remember I had the same kind of feeling with Warcraft that I had with, with the first time I watched Lord of the Rings. John, are you saying Warcraft was as good as Lord of the Rings? Oh, hell no. That's not what I'm, what I'm saying is I remember in the first few minutes of Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring, I just felt whimsical because I felt like they had magically transported me to the Shire the way I had always imagined the Shire. And they, I really felt like they brought the Shire to life. And I remember watching Warcraft. I had a similar experience in the first few minutes of the film. Like I really felt like I feel like they have transported me to Azeroth. Now I've spent an ungodly number of hours of my life playing World of Warcraft. And I'm probably not done. I'm probably going to load up the new expansion soon, but I've played an ungodly amount of World of Warcraft, but I really felt like they had transported me to Azeroth. The problem is, besides the fact that it was just critically destroyed, and I, even though I kind of appreciated it, I understand why a lot of people destroyed it. It also didn't do great. It did very badly at the box office in North America. Worldwide, it almost made 400 million. So it got real close to at least breaking even. But there's been no whisper. There's been no rumors like in, in the one or two years that followed it. But this is what comes to us right now from MovieWeb. They write this. A new movie based on the huge video game series World of Warcraft is reportedly in the works at Legendary Pictures. Legendary is the company, of course, that has the rights to it. According to relatively reliable scooper Daniel Richman, 
Um, Warcraft 2 is now in development thanks largely to the game and first and first movie's popularity overseas. All right. Now, here's the first thing we've got to point out here to make this really clear. Like, because we do need to be really, really clear about this. Uh, Daniel Richman is not... Uh, he's not Deadline. He's not The Hollywood Reporter. He's not Variety. He's not Entertainment Weekly. Uh, but he is a guy who has a, a fairly reasonable record of stuff that comes out. So it, it, this is how I kind of look at stuff like this. When it's stuff that comes out in Variety, Deadline, you know, those like top shelf stuff... That's stuff that you go, okay, then I just straight up believe it. But there is also kind of a level where if certain something comes out of certain people, I don't take it at face value, but it's like, but I'll file that one away and I'll, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. You know, I'm not taking it at face value that just because this person said it, I believe it, but it's good enough that I would go, I'm going to file that away though and keep that in mind and keep my eyes open for other information that may corroborate that. You know what I mean? And I think this is one of those situations. Now, the reason I bring it up and talk about it is because those of you who've watched my show for at least a year, maybe a little bit over a year, you guys will remember that a little over a year ago, I mentioned on the show that I had heard some whispers. I wasn't convinced by any means. I I, I wasn't calling it because I, I, I wasn't convinced, but I did tell you guys on the show about a year ago that I had personally heard some whispers that Legendary was, in fact, looking at doing a Warcraft 2. That there's still a lot of richness to this IP. There's still a lot of popularity and brand loyalty with this IP. And that they believe enough time maybe now has passed since the first film, which came out a number of years ago, that maybe, you know, they would be able to start off with a clean slate and move forward in a different way. And so there was some thought that maybe they'd be able to, to do it. Now, again, at the time, I said, I don't know that I buy this. You know, I, I certainly, it wasn't me calling, saying, I'm calling right now. They're going to make, mm. no, I didn't. I, I said, I don't know that I buy this. But I at least heard some whispers. So the fact that we're hearing this, it just makes, it peaks my ears a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? It just peaks my ears a little bit more. Uh, because it is something that kind of goes along with something that I heard before. Look, what do I think is going to happen here? I think eventually we are going to get another Warcraft movie. Now, whether Legendary is actually in development right now, I wasn't sold on that a year ago. I'm still not sold on it now. But I wouldn't be shocked. Like if, if Deadline dropped a story tomorrow, completely confirming that, yep, they're going to do another Warcraft movie. They're going to reboot it. Because I don't think you can do Warcraft 2. I think you reboot Warcraft because the last one has too much of a stench of failure on it, unfortunately. Even though I appreciated what Duncan Jones was doing. I did. I appreciated the movie Duncan Jones made us. But the reality is it didn't work for the vast majority of people, unfortunately. So I think you got to reboot it. I do think they're eventually going to do that. Now, whether that's happening in the next two years or whether it's going to happen five or ten years down the line... I don't know. As for this specific story about is this in development right now, I still take it with a giant grain of salt, but I think there's enough there that you and I as fans should at least keep an eye on it and at least file it away into our memory banks. And so if something else pops up, we can sort of cross-reference with it. So let's keep our eyes on it. Question is for you guys. 
What do you think about that? Do you actually think they are moving forward right now with another Warcraft movie? Would you even be interested in another Warcraft movie at this point? And ultimately, if they did do another Warcraft, can you do a sequel to that first one? Or you just scrap that and just start fresh. Enough years have passed. Let's just start fresh and do a full reboot and do a different approach to World of Warcraft. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's now move on and start taking your live questions. Once again, if you want to get a live question on the show, simply use the tip link at the top of the description of this video or just enter it manually. StreamElements.com slash TV slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show and you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And all of us here, thank you for that very much. All right. Let's get on over there and start taking those live questions. And we're going to start by getting caught up on some of the questions we didn't get around to yesterday before we ended the show. And we're going to get things started off here with Ryan Lohner, who writes, you have to wonder if uh, Gina Carano sees the irony of making a big stink out of refusing to wear a mask at the same time that she's start starring in The Mandalorian. Yeah, listen, I, I am a fan of Gina Carano. Like you guys have all know this. I am a big fan of Gina Carano. I don't think she's the greatest actress in the world, but I think she's getting better and improving. But I've just been a fan of her, hers and her personality for a lot of years. And listen, there's a lot of people that I love in my life that say and do some really stupid things. I will from time to time say and do some really stupid things. You will from time to time say and do some really stupid things. You do. Um, all of us do. I think I am a fan of Gina Carano, but this is one of those things where she is saying and doing some really stupid, idiotic things. And um, yeah, it's just what she's saying is just really dumb. That doesn't make her dumb. Just like when you do something stupid, that doesn't mean you're stupid. It just means we're all susceptible to doing and saying some stupid things. I think this is a situation where she's being pretty stupid. All right. Anyway, but I'm still a fan. I'm still a fan. Uh, Ian McAllister writes, hey, John, been watching for 10 years this month. Oh, thanks, man, for being around that long. Uh, recently, I started playing the new God of War. New. Um, the most recent God of War. For it feels like the hundredth time. Absolutely love that game. But because of how long the story is, I feel it would be better served as a show than a movie. Do you think that's why video game movies haven't been as good? Because there is simply too much uh, story to be condensed into two hours. Also, what do you think may be a God of War show slash movie? Also, what do you think of maybe a God of War uh, show slash movie? Have you played all the love? Well, <clears throat> I played a little bit. I did watch like the full 12 hour movie cut of it. Uh, and I was floored by it. I thought it was really great. I, I thought the, the, the story of it was just fantastic. I enjoyed it a lot, but I disagree with you completely. Um, I think it would absolutely work far better as a movie because there's a lot of stuff in the game that simply is great for the game, but isn't necessary for a full narrative run right you can do a great movie of that in two hours and 20 minutes you could do a great but it's like adapting anything like when you adapt a novel sometimes the novel is like 600 pages and you got to adapt it down to 110 page screenplay but so there's an adaptation but personally more is not necessarily better and i think that is a great story that really could be delivered in an incredible two hour and 20, two hour and 30 minute package that I think would be like great epic mythology, all killer, no filler. I think it would just be fantastic. Now, would I be opposed to a TV series? Like if 
Peacock decided to do a TV series of that or or whatever Sony is doing. No, I wouldn't be opposed to that at all. I'd still be very interested. But I really do think when I look at that story and the way it's structured, it would make a killer single shot story. It would make a killer single shot story because quite frankly, even there's a lot of stuff in the game that even though it worked well in the game, you can easily cut out. They don't. There's a lot of stuff in the game you can cut out easily that wouldn't play very well or wouldn't play as efficiently as a lot of the other stuff. And so personally, I think, boom, power, uh, $140 million budgeted, $220, uh, two hour, 30 minute long package. I think it would be insane. I would, I would love it. I would love it. But again, not opposed to the idea of them doing a show either. All right. King Campo writes, just watch man of steel talking a lot about man of steel today for what feels like the millionth time. Fuck that movie is awesome. It absolutely is. Uh, I know uh, you feel the same about it. I do. And you know, it's one of those movies where the more I see it, the more I appreciate it. There's something new to appreciate. I, I just, personally think look i love 300 um i I like a lot of the stuff that he's done but to me it's the best movie Zack snyder's ever made it it's just and i appreciate more the more i watch it more nuance i pick up more subtlety i pick up it is just a brilliantly put together film that even if it wasn't about the superman I'd still think the building blocks there for such a great movie. I've been singing this song for years, ever since I saw the movie for the very first time. A lot of you guys first started watching me as a result of that first Man of Steel review I did the night that it premiered. Um, it's it's incredible. And I can't even tell you how many times I've watched the movie with somebody who didn't love it before and got them to sit down and give it another shot. And, I, and then they came away from going, you know what? That was a lot better than I remember. I mean, the great John Schnepp was one of those. I remember, you know, I got him to sit down and watch it with me another time. And he's like, you know, I even think we did a movie commentary on it. And he was like, that was a lot better than I remember it being. And I just get that reaction from people a lot. I just can't sing enough about uh, about uh, the, the greatness that is Man of Steel. Easily the single most. Um uh, underrated comic book film of all time. I believe the three most underrated comic book films of all time are number one, Man of Steel. That is the most underrated comic book movie of all time. Number two, Kenneth Branagh's The First Thor movie, directed by Kenneth Branagh. I, I That movie, I know everybody kind of likes that movie. I don't think that movie gets enough credit. That movie is fantastic. It is absolutely fantastic. So that's my second most underrated uh, comic book movie of all time. My third most underrated comic book movie of all time is Captain America, the first Avenger. That is kind of like an afterthought to when a lot of people think of the MCU or even when they think of the Captain America movies, it it feels like the first Avenger is an afterthought to a lot of people. That movie's great. So anyway, yeah. Number one, most uh, underrated comic book film of all time. Um, uh, Man of Steel. Second, the original Thor by Kenneth Branagh. Third, Captain America, the first Avenger. There you go. Uh, At least to me, it is. All right. Next up, we got King Campo 93 who writes, also watched episode nine again recently. Finally have my list. Rogue One, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, New Hope, Solo, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, Force Awakens, Phantom Menace, Last Jedi, and Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, like mine, mine still remains the same. Mine is the original trilogy is like way up here. Right, that's where the original trilogy is. Uh, Personally, Jedi is my favorite of the original trilogy. 
uh, but it's all AA1 and A2. Like, they're all, like, red. I just consider the original Star Wars trilogy kind of as one entity. So, but way up here. Now, then, further behind, <clears throat> you've got uh, The Force Awakens. I love The Force Awakens. Nowhere near as good as the original trilogy, but I, but I love The Force Awakens. Then Rogue One. Then Solo. Then The Last Jedi. Uh, then Rise of Skywalker. And then the prequel trilogy after that. Um, but I don't have The Rise of Skywalker very far ahead of the original trilogy, but it is what it is. All right, next up, uh, Joe Din writes, are there actually any famous endings that you didn't actually care for or even hated? I personally didn't care for the ending of Thelma and Louise. I actually did like the ending of Thelma and Louise. Uh, for some reason, their decision didn't sit right with me. Also, it feels unrealistic and a bit cheesy for me now. I don't know. I think at the time it was it was so bold. Here's the hard thing about older movies. You have to look at hard, at older movies through the context of the era that they were in. And that was just such a different kind of approach like the whole movie was a very different kind of movie but that ending woo! i mean i it, it and the very fact that we can all still talk about it is a testimony i think to the kind of the power of the scene one that everybody really likes that i didn't care for well one that comes to mind is the ending of inception uh i love inception but the ending of it about the spinning top, wait a minute, did it wiggle? Did it not wiggle? I, I hate the, I know everybody talked about it, but to me, it's like, nah, that's actually a little bit of a cop-out. It's a little bit of a cop-out ending to me. One of the ones too, and I honestly go back and forth on this, but we're talking, it's a television series. And I honestly, I go back and forth on this one. And that is the ending of Sopranos. You know, the screen going black. I go back and forth on that. There, there are, there are years where I'm thinking that was really brilliant. And then there are years where I'm like, God, that's irritating <laughs> the way they ended Sopranos. Um, so I go back and forth on that. And again, that's not my true, true answer because I would have to think about it a lot, but those are two situations that come to my mind a lot. All right. Russell G writes, watched Rocky one and predator over the weekend. Nice. Uh, would you rather take a skilled punch from Rocky or a powerhouse punch from Dutch to the face? No gloves. Enjoy the day. Whoo. I will take the punch from Rocky. I'll take the punch from Rocky because Dutch, um, not only is physically stronger, he's got about a hundred pounds and the more weight behind that punch. Mm, yeah. Listen, both will knock me the hell out for sure. But, uh, I will take the punch from Rocky rather than the punch from D again. There's just too much extra weight behind that shot. There's too much extra muscle, too much extra weight behind that shot because he's significantly the larger guy. So if it's just taking one clean shot, I'll take it from Rocky and, and fall asleep immediately. I will immediately go to sleep. All right. Jonathan Yara writes, what are your thoughts on episode five of the boys? I like the Joss Whedon reference in that crazy Homelander and Stormfront sex scene. I loved it. I mean, we talked about this on the show a bit yesterday. I loved uh, this episode, uh, the last couple of episodes, I mean, this whole season has been bonkers. Just absolutely bonkers. I think I'm even liking this season more than last season. Um, but overall, I just dug it. It is really getting into the psyche of Homelander. And more and more, it feels like 
I, I, I'm not explaining this properly, but I'm feeling like more and more the boys season two is really about Homelander. Like in season one, it was about Huey and the boys and Homelander was the big bad. And, and that's fine. And that works and tremendous. Excellent. But I remember when the first posters for Homelander, Homelander, when the first posters for the boys season two came out, the big prominent figure on it was was uh, Homelander with his big face and kind of like the nutcracker mouth open up and stuff like that. And I thought that's interesting that they're making him front and center. But I'm really finding that this season really kind of is about Homelander and more his psyche and where he's at. And personally, I'm I'm really digging it. I, I'm digging it a lot. I'm, I'm liking all the other stuff going on as well. But uh, I'm digging it a lot. So that that's my thoughts on it. Okay, next up, Stubble McShave writes, Paul Bettany and Stellan Skarsgård are really good friends. When Paul's son was born, he named him Stellan. Oh, I didn't realize that. He said uh, he said this to Skarsgård, whereupon Skarsgård answered in jest, does that mean I get to suck on <laughs> Uh, I, I I don't doubt that that happened because that's that's the scars guards for you. That's the scars guards for you. Dumbledore Calrissian writes, don't forget about Catherine Hans character from Parks and Rec. Oh, I know she was great as Bobby Newport's PR person, like campaign manager. She was awesome in that. Anyway, as Bobby Newport's campaign manager, uh, Jen Barkley, she steals the show in every scene she's in. She's seriously, you know, you got your core characters. You got your core cast in Parks and Rec. Um, and then you have your recurring auxiliary characters, characters like Councilman Jam, characters like Jean Ralphio, who's like a lot of people's favorites. But Catherine Hahn, as the campaign manager, you're right. She steals every scene she's in. Um, she steals every scene she's in. And you just love her character. You love her character because she would do something like completely like destructive to to the to the to our heroes campaign to Leslie's campaign. And then Leslie and Ben are going, what's going on? She goes, hey, guys. Oh, yeah. What do you think about that move? Because she just sees it as a game of checkers amongst friends. Right. And just it's a tremendous character. I love. Look, I like I said yesterday, I'm a simple man. Put Catherine Hahn in something. I will watch it. It's just that simple. I love her. All right. Cecil Cross writes. So, uh, are we not going to talk about Ryan Reynolds getting Rick Moranis back on screen in his Mint Mobile commercial? We talked about it like three different times, actually. Uh, not huge movie news, I know, but if Tom Hanks is America's dad, then Rick is Canada's uncle. I had all the feels. Oh, no, we talked about it several times, and we never made it a main topic, but it was we've brought it up on the show several times. But yeah, no, that was great. Seeing Rick Moranis on screen again, even for a simple little commercial like that made my heart smile. I mean, sir, that I, I could feel my heart smile uh, when that, it just felt so good. And like Rick Moranis, I mean, when you read his story, go, go, go up and read about why has Rick Moranis been away for so long? It's amazing. It's, it's really moving. Uh, and it speaks a lot to him and his character, but I really hope I'm not going to get ahead of myself saying him appearing in that commercial means he's going to return, but <clears throat> And, and there has been talk about him popping up in the new Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. But we, the world needs Rick Moranis right now. I, I, just, I just feel that. The world needs Rick Moranis. I would love to see him uh, make a return. I really would. When he's good and ready, though. Uh, let's see. Calvin uh, Pano writes, 
John, about the next Bond, I believe we should not be counting uh, the actor's age today, but when production for the next Bond starts, Tom Hardy is 43 today. If the movie starts production, let's say in two years, he would be 45. Um, uh, with the 007 numbers of one movie every five to six years, he would be 50 by the second movie. So I'm with Rob. Next Bond should be 35 today tops. I still don't agree. I think Tom Hardy, <clears throat> I think Tom Hardy, look, getting somebody to play Bond is not like getting somebody to play Wolverine, right? And I think a lot of times today, because of what Hugh Jackman did with Wolverine, because Robert Downey Jr. has played Iron Man for 10 years, we think that everybody who's taking on any character, but it's not all like comic books. I think you could get somebody to come in and do a Pierce Brosnan-like run and do very well. And again, you know, Daniel Craig is already 52, coming on 53 years old at this point. I think you can get a solid three or four movies. I don't think they go every five or six years anymore. I honestly don't. I really think you're about to see Bond go to another to to become one of these every every three years thing. I think you can get three or four films out of Tom Hardy fairly easily. I mean, look how old Sean Connery by his last one. He was starting to look a bit older. Roger Moore a little bit. I, I honestly think a Tom Hardy type of dude. I think you can get three or four films out of him easily. And I don't think we need the next Bond to be able to play five, six, or seven films. I, I mean, if you do, great. But I think if we can get a great Bond for three or four films, great. Now, again, I'm not saying Tom Hardy's my number one pick. <laughs> you know, my number one pick is is probably still Henry Cavill. But if they do go with Tom Hardy, I think, I think it would be a wonderful selection. I think it would be an absolute wonderful selection. All right. Uh, anonymous viewer writes, Seven Park Data co-founder tweeted that Yahoo misinterpreted their Mulan numbers. I saw this uh, and it made only 60 to $90 million. It's a draw. Yeah. So you guys probably all saw these numbers going around that Mulan made $250 million, which is still nothing compared to what it would have made theatrically in a non-pandemic era. But that those were encouraging numbers. That data came from Seven Park Data, which passed it on to Yahoo. Now, the founder of Seven Park Data got on Twitter, and I was I was reading this, and he said Yahoo misinterpreted what what our data meant, and he kind of laid out on Twitter that in actuality, the film Mulan probably made closer, you know, around the ninety million dollar mark, probably made closer to around the ninety million dollar mark. And then he lays out all these mathematical charts about how they came to that data. So I haven't seen any other place pick up on that news that the seven part data guy is coming out and refuting what Yahoo wrote. But uh, it's a look. bottom line is who cares? I mean, look, it, no matter what, even if it was 250 million, everybody knows that's still nowhere near what it would have made in theaters had it not been for a pandemic. Um, so yeah, there's that too, but no, I did find that very interesting. I did find that very interesting that the number was actually closer to 90, which is not surprising to me, to be honest with you. It's not surprising to me. All right. Uh, next up, uh, my comic planet writes part one. Hey, John, I hope you're doing well. I am doing well. Thank you so much for asking. I watched the Emmys last night and, um, one highlight moment for me was Mark Ruffalo's acceptance speech. I thought it was very powerful and uh, apropos, and his wife's reaction was priceless. And I think Jimmy Kimmel did the best he could given the circumstances. What did you think about the Emmys overall? Didn't watch them. Yeah, one of the, like I pointed out on yesterday's show, while I am interested in the Emmys, while I'm absolutely interested in the Emmys, um, I don't watch enough TV 
to really be invested. Like when the Oscars come around, I've watched everything, right? So I'm very invested in the Oscars. The Emmys, like most of the shows aren't, uh, maybe not most. Yeah, yeah, most of the shows probably, like I've never seen Schitt's Creek. I mean, I've seen a couple of episodes, but, uh, and that was like the whole talk of the Emmys. I've really only watched a couple of episodes of Succession. Um, so, and that was the big winner as well. And, and so I don't, I'm not as invested in the Emmys, so I didn't watch it. Uh, maybe if I watched like twice as much TV as I actually do, I just, frankly, I work too much. Uh, I work too much. Um, but if I watched enough TV, uh, maybe I would, uh, maybe I would. So yeah, there's that. All right. Uh, but I had heard that Ruff Ruffalo's acceptance speech was really good. Again, I didn't see it myself, but I heard it was actually quite nice. Maybe I'll have to go over to YouTube and find it uh, so I can see that because I love Mark Ruffalo. All right. Suthius writes, hey, guys, uh, I first saw Jamie Chung nine years ago in 2011 on Real World San Diego. She was my favorite on the show, started seeing her pop up here and there in small roles and didn't think anything of it. It really is really great to see where she is now. No, she's tremendous. Like, seriously, she's fantastic. And I'll, I'll never forget. She's such, she's so grounded and wonderful. Uh, let me just see if I can get her on here for those of you who don't know who. Um, I will never forget. I, I will always be so impressed with her uh, just as a person and as a human being uh, for, for this one thing. So. I was getting ready to go do the um, uh, junket. Now, this is Jamie here. For those of you who are wondering who's Jamie Chung, that's Jamie. You may recognize her most recently from being Blink in um, in The Gifted, the X-Men kind of show that was on Fox, got canceled far too soon. But I remember she. I was going down to do press, the press junket for Sucker Punch, speaking of Zack Snyder, for Sucker Punch. And... That's when Anne told me, she, I, I didn't know this prior to this. Anne told me, oh, one second. And she went and pulled out this photograph. She goes, when you meet with Jamie Chung, one of the actresses in the movie, show her this. And I'm like, is, is that you with Jamie Chung? She goes, yeah, we were sorority sisters. I just haven't seen her talk to her in a long time. So I'm like, okay. I said, do you want to come with me to the press junket? Like you had the day off. Do you want to come with me to the press junket today? So Anne said, sure. So we went down to the Beverly Hills Hilton and that's where they had the press junket. And Anne got to hang out in the waiting area. The waiting area at these press junkets is great because it's catered food and it's always really good and you get swag bags. It's, it's kind of fun. Uh, I stopped going to them. It just wasn't worth it, but they were kind of fun. So I brought Anne along with me. So it was my turn to go up and interview the cast one at a time. And I got around to interviewing Jamie Chung and I'd never met her before. <laughs> so I go in and I sit down and here she is big, important actress now doing press for her, her movie, right? Stay in focus. And I sit. I introduced myself. She goes, Hey, and she was really nice. And I said, by the way, I was asked to show you this and I pull the picture and I give it to her and her face lights up. She goes, where did you get this? I said, I got this from my wife. She, she looks up and she goes, you're married to Ann Ora, which is Ann's maiden name. I said, yeah, she goes, oh my God, how is she? I'm like, she's great. As a matter of fact, she's downstairs in the press waiting room. She came along with me today. And Jamie stops the interview. We hadn't started really. Turns to the publicist and says, I'll be right back. And she goes, to, she's in the middle of her movie press day. 
And she goes downstairs because I guess her and Anna hadn't seen each other in a long time. She goes downstairs and sees Anna. I'm just like, okay, that's pretty amazing that somebody who's in this position that she's in right now would still be that grounded that she would stop what she's doing in this middle of this big Hollywood press event so she can go downstairs to say hi to somebody. And I remember that immediately. I'm like, I'm going to be a fan of this girl for life. And true enough, she's been great. And again, I, I I can't emphasize this enough. We talked about this. She, of course, was the star of the latest episode of Lovecraft Country. The whole episode was about her, and she's amazing in it. But there, she did a small indie film a number of years ago called Eden. And you absolutely have to check it out. She's fabulous in it. She's It, it really shows you she's got A-list kind of talent. And uh, she's fantastic. And uh, I'm just, uh, I just, she's the type of person. It's like her, Chris Pratt, Milo Ventimiglia. There, there's people like that, that you meet and then you go, oh my God, I just hope they have great success because they're just such cool people. So uh, she's one of those. Anyway, let's move on here. Um, oh, we had a bit of a jump. Give me a second here. Let me get back to where we were. Um, that was comp book. Uh, that was Suthius. All right, let's move on to Giovanni writes. I'm going to see The Empire Strikes Back on Thursday night at the theater you went to for Tenet, the AMC 30 in Orange. Nice. Looking forward to watching these great films on the big screen. The original Psycho is... Ooh, the original Psycho is also on my list to see coming October 11th at AMC. I'm going to have to go see that. I have never seen Psycho on the big screen. I've never seen the original Psycho on the big screen. I was a little bit worried about the AMC Orange 30 because I didn't know if they would live up to the same standards that that AMC theater in Las Vegas did because the AMC theater in Las Vegas was awesome. I mean, they had temperature checks at the door, made you do hand sanitizer. Everybody's wearing masks. They kept the, the, the uh, they only had a limited number of people allowed in each theater. I had nobody sitting around me. It was a great experience. And I didn't think I would get as good of an experience at the Orange 30. And it was almost as good. Not quite, but it was almost as good. I felt really safe, secure. They took their safety protocols very seriously. Uh, I just I enjoyed it a, a, a great deal. And I would go back. And if they're playing Psycho, which I've never seen on the big screen, I will definitely go back and see that. Thanks for sharing that, man. All right, Simon writes, uh, John, you are the writer. It's Superman versus Homelander. Lois and Martha Kent are hiding in the Fortress of Solitude, protection from Homelander. And Lex has sealed up all of the kryptonite in the world. Okay. Uh, Lex has sealed up all the kryptonite in the world. Homelander has no access. Who wins the fight? Superman. Superman wins that fight. Uh, unless it's Batman, Superman wins the fight. Uh, Superman beats Homelander. Like, uh, look, we've seen that. Look, Homelander is the Superman of that universe, right? Homelander is that universe's version of Superman. Really, Homelander is more like that that universe's version of Injustice's Superman. But I think ultimately Superman wins because of Superman. Unless he's fighting Batman, which he still wins eight times out of ten, but unless he's fighting Batman, Superman wins. That's, that's the way I go with it anyway. Thanks for writing, man. All right, Frankie G writes, who is one of our Patreon supporters. Thank you again, Frankie, for being one of our Patreon supporters. Uh, biggest Emmy surprise, Zendaya wins Best Actress in a Drama Series. Yeah, I saw that. I was reading through the uh, winners list, and I saw that. That's really great. Listen, I only saw, oh, damn it. What's the name of uh, Euphoria? I think that's the name of her show. I watched one episode of Euphoria, 
And it's it's not that I thought it was bad. Not at all. I just I watched the first full episode and a little bit of the second episode. And I'm just like, this show's not for me. It's just for whatever reason, it just listen, art will hit some people the right way and it just not really click with other people. That's art. That's the subjectivity of it. And Euphoria really didn't work for me. So I did think, you know, the performance that Zendaya was giving was really good. I loved her in The Greatest Showman. I loved her in Greatest Showman. But uh, but yeah, it was surprising to me, but only really surprising because I hadn't really watched it. So I wasn't really taking it seriously. But uh, good for her. Good for her. Like, seriously, I saw her in Greatest Showman, I want, and I went, you know what? She's There's a lot of potential there. I don't know if it'll come to fruition, but there's a lot of potential there. And uh, clearly, she's hitting that potential. It just makes me more excited to see her in Dune. It just makes me more excited to see her in Dune. All right, Willow writes, if you're correct, has Warner Brothers made Joss Whedon the heel of the DCU? First, he had to pretend he couldn't write a Batgirl script. Uh, then there's the hoopla over Justice League and Snyder Cut. Now he's accused of being unprofessional, abusive on set. I'll be honest with you, Willow, I'm over talking about this. I mean, we've talked about this ad nauseum. I, I've kind of laid out what I think what I think is actually going on here. I think this is all complete WB work. I really do. I think this is Warner Brothers orchestrating this whole thing. But I am I am I'm really over it. I mean, I've kind of already explained every position I have on this. You know, why is Ben Affleck not come out and address this? Why is Gal Gadot not come out and address this? Why has this and this and this? And how come they waited 11 weeks to say anything about Frosty? Why wait four weeks to talk about, you know, I've already given my whole thing on this. So I I'm, I, I, I respect you asking about it, but I'm over it. I, I'm just kind of over it at this point until something really significant emerges, which, by the way, with the whole this whole situation, I believe th this really is we've only seen the tip of the iceberg like there's the water level and then you see a little iceberg over the water level but what you don't see is this massive mountain underneath the water we are privy to so few of the facts so we can all myself included form opinions based on that one little bit of information that's sticking above the water level right and floating along but there's a mountain of information underneath that we simply aren't privy to and i think a lot of us uh, i think a lot of you me, I think a lot of us will have our opinions on the situation alter and change as more legitimate information comes to light. But until more information comes to light, I've kind of addressed everything that that is available to us. Until more becomes available to us, there's not really much more point in talking about it anymore. All right. Damo Davies writes, was watching Batman Returns the other day, and there is a small scene where a guy turns down Pfeiffer's Selena Kyle on a date. Uh, which earth in the multiverse did this happen where is the verisimilitude i am telling you man who michelle pfeiffer in batman returns i mean that is look look every guy as as juvenile as it is every guy we've got are like dream characters from certain movies right cameron diaz in the mask oh are you kidding me um but michelle pfeiffer as Batwoman in, in Batman Returns. Give me a break. So beautiful. So, I mean, she's like one of the sickest, most talented people in the world too. But yeah, I mean, it's completely juvenile. Absolutely. But it is. She's just one of those. Absolutely. And you're right. Where's the verisimilitude? Right. Damo also writes. Greetings from the UK. Have you seen the 1990 movie Quick Change starring Bill Murray, Gina Davis, and Randy Quaid? Uh, for me, it's one of Murray's best movies and isn't a bad co-director either. I really didn't see the first act twist coming. You know what? I don't recall it. Let me bring it up here. Um, 
because sometimes I say, I don't remember that movie. And then I look it up and go, oh, that movie. Uh, let me see. Quick change. <clears throat> IMDb. It's 30 years old at this point. You know what? I don't recognize it. Uh, I don't recognize the film, to be honest with you. Three thieves successfully rob a New York City bank, but making the escape from the city proves to be almost impossible. Uh, Bill Murray stars in Quick Change. I know. But Gina Davis, I mean, that's quite the cast. No, I, I'm not. I got to, I'm not even familiar with the film. That's one that's kind of th flown over my head. It's 30 years old. That has something to do with it, I'm sure. But I do not remember that one. I got some people here. Uh, Black Robin 71 is saying, I remember Quick Change. I got some people in the live questions are saying they remember uh, saying that uh, Bill Murray played a clown in the movie or something like that. Anyway, have not seen it myself. Have not seen it myself. So uh, cannot. Yeah, no, I, th I thought for a second, maybe I remember it. Nope, don't remember it. Uh, thank you for, I love having people bring up movies that weren't on my radar though. Thanks for bringing that up, man. All right, Man of Steel Rules writes, Hey John, not sure if you've seen the commercial with Ryan Reynolds or Rick Moranis. Talked about it several times already. Uh, it's absolutely wonderful and both actors are on their game. It can be found on YouTube if anyone needs heartfelt, hilarious moments in these crazy times. Yes, I, I mean, I don't know how much in a short little commercial you can say they're on their game, but no, I, I it made me smile a lot, man. I mean, granted, I'm I'm very disposed towards Ryan Reynolds. I'm a I'm a big Ryan Reynolds fan. I mean, I just, I just am good Canadian kid. So I, I'm just inherently tend to like just about everything Ryan Reynolds does. But uh, having him on there with Rick Manis, I mean, that was just that was just some special stuff, man. All right. Man of Steel Rules also writes, I finally got around to watching Tenet and had no idea the lead actor was Denzel Washington's son. I Really, we talk about it a lot on, on this show that John David Washington is Denzel's kid. Anyway, I honestly didn't care for the movie. However, I did enjoy the Greenland trailer. It looks very entertaining. Thanks and have a good day. Yeah, Greenland is one of those things. That's the new Gerard Butler film. And I think it's Marina Bakarin. I think that's Marina Bakarin in that one too. I think. Anyway, um, it, it, that was a trailer that kind of dropped a couple months ago and kind of came out of nowhere and just looks like a good, schlocky, fun disaster movie, right? And like you're kind of in the in the vein of like your Dante's Peak or Armageddon or, or whatever. Just a good, schlocky, fun disaster movie. And every once in a while, you need those. And uh, having Gerard Butler star in it looks like gold. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I I'm not hyper hyper pumped for it, but like Robert Meyer Burnett, he cannot wait. I mean, he's salivating to see that movie. So, but I did like the trailer. All right, Dylan Payton writes, "Hey John, thank you so much for what you do. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I'm a preschool teacher, and your daily discussion on entertainment has been an inspiration for me for years. Oh, well, thanks, man. Uh, you even inspired me to start my own YouTube slash Instagram page, and I love it. Keep bringing the filthy, D Dylan. I think that's awesome. First of all, thank you for being a teacher." Um, teachers don't get enough respect in our culture. Other cultures know to revere teachers. Our culture does not give the, the profession of teaching nearly enough uh, uh, respect. On top of that, I have I always say, I think if you are a fan, you should be involved, you know, because adding your voice to the conversation is good for the fan community. Whether you're a fan of tech whether you're a fan of phones or whether you're a fan of cooking or whether you're a fan, you're, you're a motorcycle enthusiast. Maybe you're a clothing enthusiast. Maybe it is movies or television or music or, or a hand-drawn art or whatever it is. I think it's great. 
on two different levels to get involved and start a blog, a podcast, a YouTube channel, whatever. Number one, I think it's good for us as individuals to get involved and just express a little bit of creativity. I think that's good for us as individuals. Secondly, <coughs> pardon me. Secondly, I just think it's great for the fan community when more fans add their voices to the conversation. And it doesn't matter if you get five readers or listeners or viewers on YouTube. It doesn't matter if you get five people or 50 or 500. It doesn't matter. Add your voice to the conversation because your voice in the conversation will give a little bit of insight or a little bit of inspiration or a little bit of thought to another person in the fan community, right? I just think it's good for people to get involved and do that stuff. So I'm always encouraging people. It doesn't have to be about movies or TV. It can be about a thousand other things. Get involved. Flex your creative muscles. Give yourself that little hobby. You know, podcasting, blogging, YouTubing, whatever. <clears throat> I think it's great. So good on you for doing that, Dylan. All right. Jason writes, Hey, John, I love the Emmys winning Dark Crystal series and was really bummed to see that Netflix canceled it. I know that it was expensive, but with the wor world of Thra already created, shouldn't the second season have been considerably cheaper to produce? I don't know if it would have been considerably cheaper. I mean, on one hand, <clears throat> maybe if nothing changed, like if you use the exact same sets and use the exact same characters and use, then it would become like there's less development expense, but yeah, to a degree, a lot of the expense of the show has already been paid. Development, initial design, construction. So it would have been less expensive. Would it have been less expensive enough? Obviously, look, Netflix is about making money. If they think doing a season two of Dark Crystal was going to make them money, they would do it. If they think they wouldn't get enough benefit from the expense, then they don't. I'm just sitting here hoping that another studio can say, hey, look, all that development was already done. The character designs, the techniques, um, the, the, the story formation, all of that groundwork's already been done. We can just sweep swoop in here now and just kind of pick it up and have an easier time of it than trying to get it going and getting it off the ground. That's always the hardest part. And so I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. I don't have a lot of hope, but I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. Again, I think a Disney Plus makes a really logical landing place for a Dark Crystal. Uh, but if not, I think Amazon, again, Peacock, HBO, Tubi, ESPN for heaven. I don't care. ESPN Plus. Pick up the Dark Crystal for heaven's sakes. I'm with you on that, Jason. All right. Dark Knight Rises writes, Hey, John, I just wanted to say a word of appreciation about the late Jack Warden. He's just one of those grand souls who keeps popping up in so many great movies by making each one a little bit more special by him being in it. Now, let me before I make an idiot, let me just make sure I'm thinking of the right person, because I know in the last couple of weeks we've had a couple of uh, people pass away here because uh, there's the one guy from the 12 Angry Men. There was the one guy. Uh, oh, and here it is. OK, yes. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, he, he died a while ago. So unless you're talking about another Jack Warden, but he but you know, Twelve Angry Men. Uh, while you were sleeping, that was one of the what the one he did with Sandra Bullock. Uh, while you were sleeping, I liked that. I mean, he was just really good in a lot of stuff that he popped up up in. So uh, it's weird that somebody wants to come on and talk about someone who died like 15 years ago. But uh, yeah, great. Yeah, Twelve Angry Men. I mean, that's the guy. That's the one thing you'll always remember him for. Uh, other stuff that he popped in on that I for oh I forgot that he was in Ed. I forgot I forgot he was in the Mighty Aphrodite, which won an Academy Award for its lead actress, by the way. Um, obviously, while you're sleeping, I really liked him in that. 
Um, uh, oh, you did the problem child stuff. I totally forgot about that, to be honest with you. The Presidio, which he did as well. Yeah. All right. Next up. Um, F Stormfront writes, uh, with the recent announcement that there'll be a lot of DC characters, old and new in Flash, do you think we'll see Shaq Steele, Barry's, uh, Barry's Catwoman, and or uh, uh, Clooney's Batman in the film before you say no, crazier things have happened? Yeah, crazier things have happened. But crazier things have happened doesn't make it likely. So is it impossible? Is it impossible that we'll see them? No. But if you ask me if I think we'll see them, no. No, I don't think we'll see them. Is there the slightest of possibilities? Sure. There's the, sli- there's the slightest possibility that Felipe the sentient dancing microphone might pop up in the Flash movie. That's a possibility. It might be 0.00001%, but there's a chance. But do I think it'll happen? No. Uh, I think it's quite unlikely, not impossible, but quite unlikely. All right. Mandalorian of Gondor writes, Hey, John and Rob, Sophie's choice. One franchise can never exist, including the original film. One franchise only has the original film and no other sequels, spinoffs or reboots. And the other has all the franchise exists. Die Hard, Terminator and Alien. Um, Okay. Huh. Sophie's choice, by the way, is when you only have two options, not three. But anyway, let's see here. Uh, Die Hard. One franchise can never exist. All right. I'll say. I'll say Terminator never existed. Because. uh, Oh, it's hard. I mean, the one I would go where only the original film exists and no other sequels, I, I'll put Die Hard in that. Die Hard, I'm comfortable putting that in there. But, oh, the Terminator and Alien one, That's which one do you just get rid of? Ooh, I don't know. I'll get rid of Alien. Because at least with Terminator, like after Alien 2, there really hasn't been anything really worthwhile. And I, I include uh, the, like the latest Ridley Scott stuff. I didn't hate the latest Ridley Scott stuff, but really after Alien 2, after Terminator, you still got the Sarah Connor Chronicles, which I thought was quite good. I really did like the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Um, and while they did nothing else great after 2 and after the Sarah Connor Chronicles, there's at least a couple of their films have had some redeeming qualities. Like I even thought the latest Terminator film, uh, what, was it, what was it called? Terminator... I can't remember what the name of the latest one was, but I didn't think the last one was terrible. I I kind of enjoyed the, even though it had problems, I kind of enjoyed the newest one a little bit. So yeah, I'll say get rid of alien. Although that, that one hurts to get rid of alien one and two alien two, maybe the second greatest action film of all time. That's a tough one. Right. Yumi writes, Hey, John, did you catch the trailer for Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago 7 yet? We talked about it a couple times already. Uh, That dropped last week. I only came across it today and did an amazing job of getting me from I don't know anything about this film to I'm in. What did you think? Yeah, I thought it was really good. But listen, Aaron Sorkin, you could have just put up a black screen that said, coming soon, The Trial of the Chicago 7 by Aaron Sorkin. Say that and I'm on board. Um, just say that and I'm, co- and I'm totally on board what he, cause everybody, Aaron Sorkin may be the best screenwriter 
in in the business for the last 20 years. But he directed his first film a couple of years ago with called Molly's Game. They got some Oscar attention, should have gotten more. I thought it should have been nominated for Best Picture. I don't think it should have won Best Picture. I thought it should have been nominated for Best Picture. Uh, it was fantastic. And that was his directorial debut. He's now directing this one. So I, I'm in. I mean, I was in already. But yeah, I did think the trailer was quite good. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for it. And you're right. It's one of those trailers that can take you from you know very little about it to, okay, I'm looking forward to that now. That's what a good trailer does. And uh, it was good to see that. <clears throat> By the way, I'll, I'll pull this up here just quickly. Uh, speaking of trailers, um, I thought I would show you guys uh, this little thing. Uh, if I can get it to properly show up here. There we go. thought I'd show you guys this. Um, this is uh, uh, the trailer, the poster for my upcoming, at least version one. There's going to be there's going to be a number of different versions of the poster, but this is the first look at the poster for my upcoming documentary, uh, movie trailers, a love story. So that's going to be coming up soon. Uh, keep your guys' eyes open for it. Uh, for my Patreon supporters, I'm going to let you guys know I am going to be releasing a clip. Uh, of the uh, documentary soon only to patreon supporters so, I, so you guys keep your eyes open i am going to be releasing that uh i am going to be releasing that pretty soon all right next up here we go over to i am movie mad writes i've been scratching my head a lot uh, at some of the tv shows being canceled as of late i understand we're in the middle of a pandemic but is there anything wrong with waiting a year or two if it works with movie franchises why not tv shows um, yeah, because it's not just Dark Crystal, right? Dark Crystal, there's other there's other mechanisms at play there for why that got canceled. But you're right. I've heard of a couple of shows that got canceled because, and the reason they give is because of pandemic. And I had the exact same thought. I've got to talk to somebody. Maybe I should ask Aaron Cummings about it because she works in the television industry a lot. But I had the exact same thought you did, Movie Mad. I'm like, well, okay. Then just wait a year and jump back into it. I get it. You you couldn't go into production on the next season of whatever show. Okay. Wait a year. Wait till you can. And I, I've not really understood. Now, maybe there's something to do with contracts involved. Uh, maybe it has to do like certain, you know, we had a certain time limit on this contracts and those ran out and we don't want to renegotiate them. I, I don't know. There are, the reality is in entertainment, as in a lot of things in life, there are a million moving pieces. There are a million moving pieces. Uh, a lot of which we're not privy to and we don't see, but I, I am with you, man. I had that exact same thought, dude. I had that exact same thought. All right. Ryan Loner writes, I figured future Dark Crystal seasons had to be cheaper now that so much of the stuff is already built. Hopefully, that can be part of their pitch to other networks. Uh, we bled Netflix dry now. Reap the rewards. I mean, that's. I was just saying that exact same thing. Listen, uh, a lot of the development, and development is a huge expense. A lot of the development is done. But now, even if we create new environments and create new characters, we've got our processes in place. We've done it. We now know how to do this. We don't have to do, you know, uh, we don't have to do development. We don't have to do, um, you know, the, the conceptualizing. We don't have to do all that. We now know what our process is. We know how we do it. We know what our aesthetic is. All that development cost was done. This could be significantly cheaper for an Amazon Prime to sweep in 
pick it up and reap the benefits of it. So I'm with you on that, Ryan, 100%. All right, next up, uh, Schiffer writes, Hey, John and Rob, Rob's not here today. Who were you rooting for in Don't Breathe, the thieves or the blind guy, and why? I was actually rooting for the blind guy until we found out what he was hiding. But both were jerks, though. That's what made the film even better. I adored Don't Breathe. And I, I listen, I've been a big fan of Stephen Lang for a while. And, uh, of course, he was most famous for being the, the villain in uh, Avatar. But then he plays this blind man. He, and maybe he should have been Cable. But I, I'm just like you. <clears throat> and don't get me wrong. I don't think some kids breaking into a house should die for that, for that error, for that error in judgment, for that mistake of view. I don't think they should die for that. But, yeah, old blind man. Turn the tables, you know, wrecking fools. I was like cheering for him at first, but then you realize what he had done. And I won't give it away for those of you who haven't seen it, but you know, they get down to the basement and they realize what this old blind guy's been doing. Uh, suddenly now, I, I, so I'm with you. That is one of the great things of that movie. It keeps you guessing and it keeps you on your toes. I was a big fan of that movie and I really do hope they make another one. You can make a, an argument that the novelty of the the blind guy doing all is maybe is wearing off at this point. You can make that argument, and that's a good argument to make. But I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you. I, I I'd be excited if they announced another one. I would I would love to see it. And anything gives us a chance to see more Stephen Lang. All right, Patrick Conway writes. I know this is old news, but just read that Richard E. Grant is in Loki. That's awesome. Loki really is getting an incredible is really getting an incredible with him, Owen Wilson, Gugu Mabath Ra, and of course Tom Hiddleston. Loki is one of the Disney Plus shows I am most intrigued for. Well, obviously I'm most I'm one that's one of the ones I'm most intrigued for too. I just love this character. Um I'm finding the more time goes by. The le I still get very interested in a project if there's a lot of names attached to it, like actors involved in it that that I enjoy. But I used to be a couple of years ago. I mean, that would be it for me. Who's in it, right? I found over the years that I've seen more and more movies that have people I really love in it that I don't end up liking. I, I don't get as excited for that, so I'm not going to get super pumped for for Loki series just because. You've got Richard E. Grant, who's one of Robert's favorite actors. He's one of Robert Meyer Burnett's favorite actors in the world. Uh, I'm a big fan of Owen Wilson, and obviously Tom Hiddleston is Loki, but I love this character. I've loved this Loki character from that first Thor movie. I I've loved everything they've done with Loki. I'm a big fan of this character, and that little sizzle teaser they gave us just made me more excited about it. And the TVA being a part of it, um, I, yeah, I'm just in, man. I'm completely on board with it. All right, uh, Rob Tari writes, fun fact, the Mandalorian took home seven Emmy Awards and Star Wars won seven Oscars in almost the same identical categories, music effects, sound, production design, etc. And also like the original Star Wars, Mandalorian was nominated for the top prize, which was best drama series as Star Wars. A lot of people don't realize this. The original Star Wars film was nominated for best film. The original Star Wars film was nominated for best feature film, best movie of the year. It was nominated for at the Oscars. It lost 
to a great movie in Annie Hall. Uh, Annie Hall was fantastic. But yeah, so not only did it win kind of similar awards, they were also both nominated for the top prize and both fell short of that. So that's an interesting comparison. All right. An anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John and Rob, I didn't like my first viewing of Tenet, but after my second viewing, I can say for sure that the movie is a masterpiece. Yes, it's complex audio issues, but when you understand the plot, you will be blown away. Can't wait for my third viewing. You know, here's the funny thing, Anonymous. My buddy soul who saw, I might have mentioned this yesterday. My buddy soul who saw Tenet with me on my first screening, um, he also went to go see it uh, again. He went to go see it at the drive-in this time. And... He actually said as well that he much preferred his second viewing over his first viewing. He, he thought the second viewing, now that he had seen it once, um, that he was ready to go for a second viewing and thought that it was all good and ready to go. So that's great. Um, I still think there is an issue with your filmmaking. If somebody needs to see your film twice in order to appreciate it properly then there's a little bit of a problem with your filmmaking on that one project. Like if, a, if an audience member can't watch this, the movie once and grasp and fully appreciate for what it is, then, then there's, then the ball's been dropped a little bit, but i I am looking forward to seeing Tenet a second time. Uh, again, just a lot of it was, was became problematic for me simply because I couldn't understand what was being said. And that obviously impacts how you're able to enjoy the film. So I'm looking forward to seeing it my second time around personally as well. All right, next up, The Wakandan Forever writes, Hey, John, hope you're doing well. I am doing well. I got my first metal detector yesterday. My first time out, I lucked out and found some money and a piece of jewelry. It's a fun hobby. I find some uh, vibranium and I'll let you know. Have a good one, Wakandan Forever. Seriously, I remember a buddy of mine this is years ago, got a metal detector. I used to go to this camping ground a lot when I was a kid. For those of you in the Southern Ontario area, it's called the Bing conversation, conversation, uh, uh, conversation area. And they had Bing camping ground. And they also had like the biggest pool I had ever seen at this place, at this camping ground, Bing. And we used to go there a lot. And I remember a friend of mine got a metal detector when I was younger. And I got to tell you, it was, it was pretty crazy fun. Like you look at people doing metal detectors and you laugh at them, but it was actually pretty fun. And it's kind of funny. You find something as little as, a, holy crap, I found an earring. Or I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's actually kind of fun. I'm glad you had a good time doing it, Wakandan. All right. Jesse Swift writes, hey, John. So I finally got around to reading Lost Stars. Oh, my God. I love Lost Stars. I love one of my top three favorite Star Wars novels. It, absolutely fantastic. I burned through it on my second Star Wars novel. I loved it for being sold as a young adult book. I was surprised by adult themes. It felt uh, it felt carried, especially in the second half. I would love a continuation. I completely agree. Written by Claudia Gray. Lost Stars, for those of you who may not be familiar with it, it tells the story of the original Star Wars trilogy all the way from New Hope all the way to the end of Return of the Jedi um, from the perspective of this young boy and girl who've grown up together and take divergent paths. One joins the rebellion, one joins the empire. And it tells the story from their points of view. And it is fantastic. I'm like you, Jesse. I burned through it. I couldn't stop. 
Like it, it's just so well done. And it's so interesting looking at the events of the original three Star Wars films from different points of view and views and perspectives. And it really is. It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. Other than Lords of the Sith and maybe, you know, the the original uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn trilogy, uh, not the new one, like the original one, the one that's not canon anymore, uh, the, the Heir to the Empire trilogy. Other than those two books, it might be my favorite Star Wars novel. I think it's my favorite Star Wars novel. It's absolutely fantastic. If you have not checked out Claudia Gray's Lost Stars, absolutely check it out. It's it's absolutely fantastic. All right. Corey O writes, hey, John, I finally got to see Tenet this weekend. Unfortunately, the only way to watch new movies for me right now is through the drive-in theater. So while it was exciting and fun to be able to watch the movie, I felt like I I felt that I had been able to see if I had been able to see it in theaters and the experience obviously wouldn't have been would have been much better uh, as it was so hard to hear at points. With that being said, I thought the movie was interesting and I'm looking forward to seeing it again, maybe with subtitles. Again, listen, a lot of theaters you go to, you're not going to have a better experience with the audio. The audio is an issue in the movie. There's no getting around it. The audio is an issue. Is it a deal breaker issue? Well, I mean, that that's up for debate, but it is at least an issue. So I don't know if you had any worse of an experience at the drive-in with the audio than you're going to get in the theater, depending on the theater you go to. But, oh my God, the one thing you got to say about Christopher Nolan, when you look at films like Interstellar and you look at Tenet, I don't know that it's there's any denying that Christopher Nolan is, at minimum, the most ambitious filmmaker out there. Like, he will try things narratively that are just so bonkers and crazy, and a lot of filmmakers would never dare even try. And think what you will about Christopher Nolan. I, I just think he is the absolutely, and you got to have gumption being a film director. He is the most ambitious filmmaker, I think, out there today. I mean, it's it's crazy what he's willing to go for. You know, he'll just go for it. And I, I appreciate that a lot. All right. Stubble McShave writes, over or under 15%, Mara Jade will be featured in a future, future seasons of The Mandalorian. I don't know. See, here's the thing. They never did make her canon. They never made Mara Jade canon. Now, Grand Admiral Thrawn was not canon either. And they brought him in eventually. So, <sighs> not much above, but I'll go over 15%. 15% is still a pretty low number. And again, when you look back at, hey, you know, Thrawn was never canon. They brought him uh, And considering the pop popularity of the character with the hardcore fans, yeah, I, I think you got some possibilities there. But much like Thrawn is a different Thrawn than he was in his original incarnation in the books. I think Mara Jade will also be a different incarnation, right? So I, yeah, I'll go over. I'll take the over 15% stubble. All right. S beam writes, uh, Lovecraft raised by wolves. Damn. That's some good writing. The acting has been really good too. John majors, uh, uh, Wunmi Masaku, uh, Jamie Chung are freaking excellent. Amanda Cullen, uh, Abakar uh, Salim, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, and mother and father are, as mother and father, are extremely 
Uh, they are really, they really bring you into it. Yeah, listen, I am, I am not loving Raised by Wolves the way I'm really loving Lovecraft Country right now, but I am very into it. Like I, I am, I'm on board. I am on board with Raised by Wolves. It's got me, it's got me interested. It's got me on board and I'm following along. And I'm really excited to see where they could take things with it. Again, not my favorite thing right now. I'm not absolutely in love with it yet, but I am enjoying it. But Lovecraft Country. Listen, first episode was great. And then the second episode to me was a speed bump. I almost ditched the show with the second episode. Almost. But then I thought, well, you know, it's one and one. I I really love the first episode. Let's try episode three. I have loved it ever since. Uh, it has been just crazy. And this latest episode, like all about Jamie Chung, was fantastic. The episode before that is one of the most bonkers, bonkers episodes of television I've ever seen. Uh, so they've really been picking up their game a lot. All right. Material Man writes, movies that opened up this week 10 years ago. You again. Wall- oh, my gosh. Was Wall Street 2 10 years ago? Buried was 10 years ago? No. Hold on a second. I got to look this up. Was Buried really? It was. For those of you who don't know what Buried is, anyway, uh, um, uh, and Legend of the Guardians, which was your favorite, which was your favorite and least favorite that came out that week. Uh, I'm going to go favorite was Buried. Uh, least favorite was You Again. But uh, uh, listen, for those of you who don't know what Buried is, you might have heard me mention it a couple of times. Buried is this movie with Ryan Reynolds, okay, that quite frankly, he should have been nominated for an Academy Award for. And listen, this was before I became a full-out Ryan Reynolds fanboy. He should have been nominated for Best Actor for this. I'm not going to say he should have won, but he should have been nominated. For those of you who don't know anything about this movie, you see this poster? He's laying in a box, clearly buried underground, right? That's the whole movie, not most of the movie, not practically the whole movie. That is the whole movie from start of the film to the end of the film. It is just Ryan Reynolds in a box. That's the whole movie. And you would think theoretically, how can that possibly be interesting? A great story with a magnificent performance like You've got to be a special actor to just have it be you and nothing else and tell a compelling story. Ryan Reynolds acted his ass off in that movie. And I absolutely cannot believe that was 10 years ago. I still remember the first time I saw it. Like I was floored by it. I still remember I was I was at the the screening room. Uh, There's this little screening room in Hollywood. That's just like this little 40 seat. Uh, screening room in Hollywood where some of the smaller films get their press screenings at. And I remember being there and like just in awe by it. So yeah, I cannot believe that was 10 years. Oh my goodness. Cannot believe But guys, if you have not seen buried and if you want to see just how good Ryan Reynolds can be uh, a couple of films that I will always point to one is buried. Uh, and uh, oh, actually what would the second one be? Well, we'll just, I mean, definitely maybe is another one. 
that's more in his wheelhouse, but he also shows incredibly incredible range in that. But yeah, check out Buried if you haven't yet and get the chance. All right. Final question of the day, guys. And then we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, since it's just been me, we've flown through a lot of these questions and topics. Russell Amador writes, hey, John. With Halloween approaching and thirst for a horror movie for horror movies rising, did you see the four new movies Bloomhouse is going to release on Amazon in October? They haven't done much promotion, but it's Bloomhouse, so hopefully one of the four ends up good. I, I haven't. I haven't really paid attention to that. I did see when I went to go see though, um, let me try to see if I can find this. Uh, uh, let me see if I can find this. Oh, here it is. Here it is. When I went to go see, let me bring this up. When I went to go see New Mutants, when I made the drive out to Las Vegas to go see New Mutants at the AMC Las Vegas there, and again, incredible job they did with their safety procedures, full credit to AMC in Las Vegas, well done. They only played one trailer. And it was a movie I had heard of but hadn't didn't, knew nothing about knew nothing about it. and frankly had completely forgotten about it and it's this little thing called come play and as the trailer starting i thought this premise looks dumb at first the basic premise is there's this creature that kind of looks a little bit like hollow man but there's this creature that you can only see if you see him through a mobile device camera like if I'm looking at that corner where I've got my Henry Cavill standing, if the creature's there and I look over there, I can't see him. But if I hold up my phone camera and look over there, then you can see him. Now, that sounds kind of dumb. It does sound kind of dumb. But as this trailer for Come Play unfolded and it kept going, I'm like, you know what? I'm on board. This seems kind of fun. I mean, kind of creepy and kind of spooky. I By the end of the trailer, I was like, yep, sign me up. Not the best trailer I've seen in the world, but you know what? Sign me up. So this one has got my attention. This is one that's got my attention. So you guys, uh, um, uh, this is one you got to keep your eyes on. Keep your eyes out for Come Play. Because again, if you haven't seen the trailer, go see. I don't know. Maybe the movie will be absolutely terrible. I don't know. But for now, I, I, I at least thought the trailer looked pretty damn good. Anyway, guys, that does it. We got through all the questions today, guys. I mean, it goes by pretty, pretty fast when I'm flying So. Thank you so much, guys, for being here and making this show a part of your day. Don't forget the John Cabot Show returns again tomorrow. Hopefully, Robert will have his uh, internet back up and running by then. Thanks again to all you guys for making this show part of the day. Special thank you to all of you guys who sent in the live questions because you did two things. Number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about. And number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here, thank you guys very, very much for that. And don't forget, guys. If you come across a big piece of news and something you really think should be a main topic here on The John Campus Show, go over to www.thejohncampusshow.com slash contact. Fill out the form with your with the topic. It's absolutely free. Hit submit, and you just might see your submission featured as one of our main topics. Or if you got a comment or question or a smaller question, topic, whatever, that you want to see us address on the live questions part of the show, you don't have to wait for the show to be live. You can actually send it in to streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip anytime, and you'll see it come up on the next episode of the show. Guys, that will do it for today's episode of the show. Remember to do the four main important things, guys. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.